0: Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Tracy Jones. Welcome to the Tremendous Leadership Podcast, Leaders on Leadership, where we pull back the curtain on leadership. Our guest today is Michael Gelb. Michael's the author of 17 books, including the international bestseller, How to Think Like Leonardo da Vinci. He is a genius, a creative, a visionary, and he helps work with other people to bring out the genius into them. And you are just going to love listening to what he has to say about the price of leadership and the role creativity and curiosity play in that. Stay tuned.
1: You're listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones.
0: Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Tracy Jones. Welcome to the the Tremendous Leadership Podcast, Leaders on Leadership, where we pull back the curtain on leadership and talk to leaders about what it took them to pay the price of leadership. And today, I am so excited. Our guest today is Michael J. Gelb. And Michael is the author of 17 books, including the international bestseller, you're going to love this title, How to Think Like Leonardo da Vinci. His books have been translated into 25 languages and have sold more than 1 million copies. Michael is a senior fellow of the Center for Humanistic Management, the Gabelli School of Business, and a member of the Leading People and Organizations Advisory Board. He serves as an executive coach and a consultant for high performers, and I've watched some of his YouTube, and he speaks to all different ages. Michael, we are so honored to have you on the podcast today.
1: It's great to be with you. Thank you.
0: I can't wait to hear what you're going to say about this. So, you know, this is Leaders on Leadership. And so we're really pulling back to, you know, the really tougher side of leadership, where, where you separate the wheat from the chaff, this, the sheep from the goats. And my father wrote this little gem called The Price of Leadership. And he was a tremendous leader, but he was very uh, pragmatic and real about, you know, leadership is joyous and jubilant, but it's also really tough and sad and lonely. And that's one of the things he talks about is the price of leadership is loneliness. And we've all heard that, you know, it's lonely at the top kind of thing, but can you share with me either as your, from your studies of studying Leonardo da Vinci or you growing your business and sharing with other leaders, what does loneliness mean to you and what advice would you have for leaders tuning in that are kind of in that lonely space right now?
1: Yeah. Well, let's start with Leonardo da Vinci, because I often refer to him as the perhaps the loneliest person who ever lived. Wow. And the reason is he was so far ahead of his time in so many different ways. So he did have mathematicians he could talk to about mathematics, and he had other painters he could talk to about painting, and he had other anatomists that he could talk to about anatomy. And he had other inventors that he could talk to about invention. But I don't know that there was anybody he could talk to about how all of that fits together and the things, the things that he saw. I mean, he, he wrote in his notebook well before Copernicus, Leonardo wrote in his notebook, Il sole non si muove, the sun does not move, at a time when people thought that the sun moved around the earth. He he figured it out. So mm-hmm. he he invented this. This is my favorite element of Leonardo, all his great inventions. He invented the parachute before anybody could fly. Hmm. And hundreds of years later, literally it was just about 25 years ago, a British skydiver built Leonardo's parachute. Wow based on the instructions Leonardo gave in his notebooks from 500 years ago. Mm -hmm. And he went 10,000 feet up on a hot air balloon. He had a modern parachute on for backup. But he didn't need it because Leonardo's parachute actually worked. So if you think about it, what was Leonardo doing? He wasn't just trying to achieve an objective, which anybody in a leadership position is obviously always trying to achieve multiple objectives. right helping other people define and achieve objectives and coordinating the, that achievement into a big picture, but also then thinking about what happens, not just when we meet obstacles, but what happens when we succeed? How do we deal with success? A lot of people, are, they're really good at overcoming challenges and difficulties, but they many leaders discover Oh my God! Now what do I do? I'm successful, <laughs> and they have I'm, they have an existential crisis because oh. they didn't they didn't think okay now we're flying how do we get back down? Wow! You know, remember, yeah. remember when you know when we, when when President Kennedy made this great leadership objective about uh-huh. we're going to get a, a a man to the moon by the end of the decade, and it was great when you you know if you talk to people at NASA at that at the time that this was stated at the highest level it wasn't stated equivocally it wasn't hey nasa let's try to get a man on the moon let's see what we can do give it your best shot uh, it would be no it was it shall be it is done it's done but and bring him back safely was really important part of that instruction <laughs> so you know, it's 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 a mantle of a vision of response it's where loneliness all these elements that your father so presciently and articulately uh, shared with the world many years ago i remember i remember he was a legend when i was coming up
0: uh, uh, That's right. in the yeah. NSA, yeah
1: yeah so i would you know i would be around and and i spoke to groups who had had him previously uh, so i got to be in uh, 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 i guess we all get to be in a in a very lovely way in in the wake of of the wonderful tremendous uh, insights that he shared with with the world but I, I think that's another element. Uh, it's the first principle for thinking like Leonardo it, in Italian. It's curiosità, curiosità. And it means never-ending curiosity. And it's another characteristic of leadership is, and it does, it does generate loneliness because a lot of times, especially with success, people are satisfied. They're not mm-hmm. continuing to ask questions. Leaders are always asking, uh, well, what haven't we thought of yet?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, how can we do this better? How can we do this more intelligently? How can we uh, uh, engage more people? How can we have, uh, uh, create greater benefit for the communities that we serve? Mm-hmm. How, can, how can we uplift all of our stakeholders, not just our shareholders? So so these are, are questions that the the more comprehensive, systemic visionary and compassionate and humanistic your question the lonelier you will be because you can you can be have a false sense of community if you just say how can i squeeze as much out of the system as i possibly can mm-hmm. unfortunately there's a lot
2: mm-hmm.
1: of uh, people who will kind of go along with that and collude with that and you can feel that you are being uh, societally uh, Sanctioned to do this because that's just what everybody else, but I don't consider that real leadership. I don't right. consider extracting wealth from the system for your own aggrandizement or the aggrandizement of a select group of people to be leadership. so that's you know that that's that's when I talk about leadership, it's and this is where the visionary part and the loneliness part. And uh, I think you're going to ask me about some other parts too. How, I, you know, I really can't separate them.
0: No, absolutely. And, and, and they do, they do thread into it. And I love that you called him the lonely, loneliest man in the world. Because, you know, a leader is nothing without their followers. But as you so hit it, you may see things before other people see them. And you also hit on the point about, um, uh, extracting wealth for your personal benefit. I call that uh, SOB, self-orienting behaviors. and uh, You're an SOB, and they're like, what? And I'm like, self-oriented. Um, <laughs> that's, but, a very, that's a very uh, sophisticated, non-judgmental,
1: uh, psych, psychological term with a nice shot of judgment in it, very cleverly done I like that the a truth lot. and love right yeah yes, I'm gonna borrow that yeah
0: <laughs> you're welcome but uh, uh, but that is so good because um I mean you hit on it, it, it he, he had he just had this curiosity not for himself or to build something for himself but to know the unknown and that's such a beautiful thing because everybody that, that tunes into this just gets and my dad's whole focus wasn't you know being a successful speaker is great but to just encourage that love of learning up until you're very last breath. And, um, we, that's, it's tough. You know, I think of Monty Python where they were like, my brain hurts, you know, where (laughs) you got to think. And it's like, yeah, it's tough, but, but it's so, but what's, you got to exercise the mental muscle, but you hit on the, I I love the loneliness and I love that, that, but you don't want to be too aloof. Like if nobody's following you, you know what I'm saying? But he, who did he have as his staunchest advocates? Can you That's a great question. Yeah. Because you need, to, you can't just go lone wolf your whole life. Not even Jesus could do that. You gotta, no matter how brilliant you are. Um, I think about what about Bob with when she's when, uh, oh, Bill Murray was like, "You're just a balloon, and where the ropes hanging off to, you know, <laughs> to shrink." But who did he have with him to kind of advocate for him and keep him uh, going and infused? Well, he figured
1: out uh, something that uh, fortunately I also figured out early in my career, I guess inspired by Leonardo, Mm
2: -hmm. uh,
1: you have to have a patron.
0: (sighs) (laughs) I call them advocates, but I love that patron. We just did one on Jonah Ark. You've got to have a patron. I love that. Yeah.
1: So so he started out the Medici, uh, sponsored him in his early days. And then when he was 30, he wrote what is probably the most famous employment application letter of all time. It's in the beginning of my book, uh, uh, on Da Vinci. Okay. Uh, He writes, so he'd been working for the Medici company based in Florence and he wanted to get a job with the Sforza group based in Milan. So he writes this phenomenal letter to Ludovico Sforza, the Duke of Milan, basically the CEO of the Sforza group. And he lays out for him, all of the ways that he can, can serve the Sforza uh, group. And it's 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 quite remarkable. And then he went for his job interview, and because he's Leonardo da Vinci, he makes by hand a musical instrument from out of silver. What? He plays a spontaneous composition. For the Duke sings for, for him plays and then gives the instrument to the Duke as a present so the Duke said let's find something for this young Leo
0: <laughs> and he you said thirty when that when he was at that stage? thirty yeah wow wow so for
1: the next seventeen years he was under the patronage of the Duke yeah. of Milan mm-hmm. but then the French invaded and The Duke had to flee Milan, Leonardo lost his patron. He went down to Rome and the Vatican was effectively his client for a while, Mm -hmm. but then his ally in the Vatican passed away. So for a while he was in the middle of Italy under the uh, sponsorship of Cesare Borgia. Then he found himself back in Florence another period in Milan. And then he spent the last three years of his life in France under the patronage of Francois I, the king of France. Mm -hmm. And Leonardo's official job was uh, philosopher to the king, which is kind of how I, you know, in my work as a consultant and executive coach, people put me on retainer, uh, you know, philosopher and executive leadership coach to the king, a.k.a. the CEO.
0: (laughs) That is so cool, I love that and and that that 's really important for the leaders out there, um, even if you see it all. you have to have an enabling context, you have to have the resources and the means, otherwise. It's in you, but you gotta have somebody you know, monetarily or to go in and, and advocate for you or champion you. Um, but I, I love that, that's so important for leaders. And if you're in an organization where as a leader, you see these things, but you're not getting met with support, then you need to go, or we've all had great leaders who we love more than anything, and then they pass away or they get transferred out. And so this is just part of the leadership journey. You may have the, the, the person that has your back like nobody else, but they may not always be there. So you got to be
1: very much so, and building, you know, and this, it's one of the things, cause I also, I've worked over the years, many years with, uh, uh, I've actually worked with people who were identified as fast track, high potentials in a company. I work with them. I did leadership development training and coaching for them. They've now risen up, become EVPs, CEOs. They're retired and i'm taking the next
2: nice. generation
1: up through the same process mm-hmm. and one of the things that is critical for that long-term success is identifying your allies identifying mentors identifying the people who who get you who who want to support you and help you and and those those that creates a through line for, for the success of your career. Even when you meet, I've seen people meet with tremendous misfortune, setbacks and grave difficulties, but that's another place where, where loneliness comes in and difficulty. And if you're aspiring to do something great,
2: mm-hmm.
1: it's it's funny. I, I, I had a client, I, I, I worked with him. He was a division director in, CNP Telephone Company in Washington, D.C. area. And then he rose up to become the CEO.
2: Okay. So he had uh,
1: 8,000 people in his organization. Hmm. And then working together, we, we focused on the next leap of his career. And he, uh, we mapped out what would be the ideal thing for him to do. And amazingly, he got to do the next thing, which was the ideal thing for him to do. He became president of National Public Radio. Then he went on to become the United States ambassador to South Africa. And then he uh, moved, uh, he he didn't really retire, he just moved and started a foundation
2: Mm
1: -hmm. uh, in New Mexico. And uh, I'm still friends with him uh, to this day, he's a a fabulous guy. Uh, But what's great is if you look at his career, we always used to joke about, it looks like it was just this continuous meteoric rise you know, if you read the resume and just read president of this, uh, CEO, president of that, ambassador of this, head of this foundation, author of this book, it just looks like a storybook, except he'll tell you there was suffering. There was grave disappointment. There was heartbreak. There was betrayal. There mm-hmm. was drama. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hello. It's never going to happen
0: without that. It's it's not, and and it doesn't make you. It doesn't bring out the greatness in you that adversity. You know, I've never met a great leader with an easy past. I mean, what 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 war stories do you have? You haven't even been. You haven't even gone to battle yet. So, I mean, but I I love for for you're you're specifying for leaders that it does take time. There are, um, and and again, this just hits me. The older I get, there are certain uh, entities and people that will bring out the, the best in me. And then there are ones that this is just not gonna work. And rather than continually fight, it's good to just be self-aware and, and just keep be fluid enough that um, you really wanna find those people that are just gonna challenge and, and champion you. Um, because if you're lonely for extended amounts of time, something's not right. Either you really got to clean house and start from anew or you're in the wrong environment or, or something. Wouldn't you agree? Well, it's, you know, it's a tricky thing because on the one hand, if you're a genius,
1: by nature, you may be lonely because it just means you're, especially if you're a big picture genius, uh-huh. people may not, may not understand you because you're so far ahead of them. So right. I, I try to help my genius clients or my aspiring genius clients also develop this is a critical uh, missing link for a lot of people it's one thing to generate great creative ideas it's one thing to come up with you know the light bulb or mm-hmm. the phonograph uh, or the movies all of which thomas edison did by the way it's another thing to get people to buy into your vision
0: right well to that's get- leadership yeah, you can be a leader and have all those great ideas leading out of your mind, but leadership is, does everybody else catch a vision? And so how up? do we
1: right, how do we get people to buy in? So that I've written two books about that because that's how important I think it is. Because mm-hmm. I've written a lot of books about how to be creative, get genius ideas. But if you can't get people to buy into those ideas, Well, then you may die alone and penniless and and we prefer it. You know, that's not that much fun. It sounds romantic when we write the novel about your life, but I'd rather you die fulfilled, uh, wealthy, endowing all sorts of foundations and charities with a happy family and a beautiful life fulfilled. So. That's my intention, and it's my intention for everybody
0: I touch. I love it. Well, one of the nicest things, and you refer to my father as living in his wake, that's one of the coolest things I've ever heard that phrase. So yeah, a genius will leave that legacy where people keep, you know, shoring up and picking different pieces of it. So now you talked about um, your friend and, and talked about, you know, th- there was a lot behind the scenes. The next price my father talks about is weariness. And uh, uh, you know, no matter how passionate and and visionary we are, we're mere mortals. And there's always going to be some people that are doing more than their share, and ones that aren't. How, can you share how you or, or what you saw at a, a Leonardo da Vinci, where he just put put that grit in and 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 stays stay with his nose to the grindstone? Because I think genius people think you're just an idea person, but not every idea that you're going to have is going to work.
1: So. I'm so glad we're talking about this because it's so important. So for more than 10 years, I co-taught at the University of Virginia Darden Graduate School of Business Mm -hmm. with a brilliant professor, uh, Jim Claussen. Mm -hmm. And Jim wrote a book called Level 3 Leadership. And our course was called Leading Innovation. And the first line of Jim's book is leadership is about managing energy first in yourself and then in others man so how do you manage your energy the higher the the stronger the best way to manage your energy is to have a higher purpose Mm -hmm. if you have a higher purpose if, if you're doing something beyond just being an SOB,
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> right? Yeah. If you have a higher purpose to make a difference in the world, to uplift other people's lives, that gives you tremendous energy. And if the people in your organization feel that they're there for more than just a paycheck, that they're part of a team, that they're, that they're enriching the lives of their customers, that they're doing something that they care about and believe in, that they're really meeting a, a genuine human need. Mm-hmm. That, that that generates tremendous energy, but even then, you know, you can get weary. It's a long road. There, there, you know, you get uh, pandemics show up, uh, uh, things happen that you don't expect, uh, uh, and how do you recover quickly? Mm-hmm. How do you generate your, your regenerate your energy? Mm -hmm. So, you know, Leonardo talks about this. And I've actually found this in my studies of geniuses throughout history. They understand the importance of recovery, Uh resilience, recharging, resting. You know, Thomas Edison used to take two naps a day Mm -hmm. on his desk in his office.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. He would just lie down on the wooden desk he used to put Watt's Dictionary of Chemistry as a pillow. And all of his co-workers, co-workers say that every time he woke up, he seemed to know even more about chemistry.
0: <laughs> I believe it.
1: Right? Leonardo da Vinci says to his students, in his, you know, when I, uh, people say, you know, how did you write this book? How to think like Leonardo da Vinci? you just make this up? No, I read Leonardo's notebooks. And I'm reading, and, but I had a question in mind. What's the advice he's giving to his students? Yes and then translate it into contemporary terms. So Leonardo says to his students, it is good in in the midst of the intensity of your work that you should take a little relaxation. And then he suggests things like walk in nature. Hmm. He says, then come back to your work and you will see it with fresh eyes. So that you understanding this rhythm between total intensity and really letting go, and really resting and and, and relaxing. And so you know, I have taught I taught my clients meditation before it was fashionable.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I started teaching meditation to senior executives at a retreat in La Mirador in Vevey, Switzerland, uh, in 1979. And you know, nobody had ever heard of it or knew it or knew anything about it, and there was not all the scientific research about it. I said. Just do it. If you feel better and have more energy, you'll keep doing it. If you don't, don't do it again.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So fortunately, a lot of them have been doing it since then. Because uh, and, and the great thing is now is we have this incredible cornucopia of methodologies, all of which have scientific validation. So mm-hmm. I don't care if you want to do mindfulness, uh, uh, you know, yoga, yoga pranayama. Uh, I personally teach tai chi and qigong. Mm-hmm. Uh, from Chinese lineages, uh, thousands of years old, uh, just have some kind of practice that's an efficient way to recharge your mind and body.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Walking in nature. I mean, so you know, this is not stuff I just put in my books or write about. We live near the Rockefeller State Preserve. I walk in nature every day for an hour. Right. Shut right. off the phone, shut off the device, listen to the sound of the birds,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, I listen to. Uh, we have at the moment. We we usually choose a theme, like a composer, and we wake up in the morning and we put on. Now we're putting on Bach, and we have Bach playing in our house. I mean, it's so we. You know, we're we're. I, I'm gonna I'll do my tai chi qigong practice. I do. You know, every day I I, I invest anywhere between a half hour an hour.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so
0: yeah, yeah, got to do it. Yeah. And I mean, that goes back to that kind of concept of Sabbath thing. You just gotta, and people say, well, I can't do it. I don't have time. And I'm like, yeah, you do. Because you prioritize it's, you know, rest and restoration. You schedule that too. You know what I'm saying? You don't just let it, but you got to really jealously guard that. Um, And I find mm-hmm. the more I take time for that, the more productive I am in my productive times. And this, this point of, um, just just shutting off and recharging. Because you can't hear the genius if it's noisy and you're and you're too tired.
1: And and yeah. think about where are you and where's everybody when they get their best ideas? It's not at work. <laughs> it's in the shower.
0: <laughs> On it's the treadmill, the,
1: walking in the treadmill treadmill. Wa- So we get we get people literally keep a notebook with you mm-hmm. at the place where you are when you get your best ideas. Mm-hmm. And record your ideas. Right, right. And the more you record them, the more ideas you get. And you know, if we look at disasters, so-called uh, uh, human-caused disasters, things like Chernobyl and Three Mile Island, and uh, frequently the, the disa- human disasters. Uh, 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 the uh, challenger and 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 mm-hmm. the other space uh, crashes they're caused by one of two things mm-hmm. fatigue so people did not have enough rest and recharging and they were they were just fatigued so they just made mistakes mm-hmm. or people did not feel free to speak up
0: mm-hmm.
1: there was not there was not an environment of psychological safety right So those are your two causes of what's going to cost your company the most money. What's going to result in you making the biggest mistake in your life. So instead, make sure everybody is well rested and ask everybody for their ideas regularly and really listen. Mm -hmm. Not that complicated
0: right well and that is draining for and i know everybody listening here is a critical thinker and expressive and that's i notice some of the times where i get the most drained is not cuz i'm doing the most work but i feel like i'm just hitting my head and going hey if we don't pay attention to this um you know Look, I was in the military. I know how to shut up and color and salute smartly. But like you said, I think I read and said about the Challenger when you know it's going towards the end, and that's a real draining atmosphere for a leader or a genius to be in when they're not they're not validated and listened to. Terribly frustrating. It, it sucks
1: the life. It sucks the yeah. life. I, I was with uh, I, I was uh, blessed to be invited to speak at last year's Global Drucker Forum in Vienna, and I was I was on a panel with uh, Amy Edmondson who wrote the book on psychological safety. And Mm -hmm. she told this story. I forget which disaster it was, but she actually showed the video where they were doing uh, the interview with this poor fellow who was in the meeting who saw the technical flaw that ultimately wind up killing our pilots, Mm -hmm. this horrible tragedy. He was in the meeting and he said, I just couldn't speak up. I just couldn't. He said, Right. But that, that commanding officer, a good one, as uh, General Stanley McChrystal tells us in Teams of Teams, will ensure that there's shared consciousness, that there's mm-hmm. empathy, that we understand that we're communicating across functions so we know what everybody needs. And that's, that's part of the challenge of the leader is to, to understand the needs of stakeholders and balance the needs of all the different stakeholders. And you don't you don't know those needs unless you are empathic unless you're curious mm-hmm. and humble
0: mhm 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 and the, the thing for leaders is too, in the geniuses they probably have because they see things that other people not may not see like you said it's that empathic or whatever you want to call it but um You know, we always tell people, nobody can make you do anything illegal, immoral, or unethical. And um, so even though you may not be listened to, it's still as leaders, especially the creative ones, speak up. And then you make the decision, I'm not going to stick around. I mean, you've probably been right. in that situation too, Michael. I've been, I've been in a lot of organizations and it w- wasn't because I left them because I was bad. It's because there was some kind of value congruence for my convictions and what was going on. And, you know, I respect somebody saying, well, I felt like I ho- couldn't say anything, but well, you better just at least say it. And then you can say, I know I'm going to get fired. So here's my resignation. But I mean, I think as leaders, you really uh, are geniuses. If you do, you just need to keep saying it and say, it's America. What are they going to do? Throw you in jail? it's not other countries where they do that stuff. So, uh, you know, I just think it's really important now, maybe back in Leonardo's time, it was different where if you went against the sanction wisdom, but I mean, you know, you said, you said that word societal sanctions. And I think we're kind of in, in the realm where that's kind of happening again here and, and sure. geniuses need to be free to speak and courageous because it takes great c- courage to, I mean, Einstein went into that. Takes great courage to be a genius because everybody else is going to think you're you're an idiot or you're wrong or you're a fanatic, you know.
1: And 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 that's the thing is you you don't you're lucky like Einstein. They really did think you know he's a patent clerk. He doesn't. What is this? This is rubbish. This is nonsense. But then he what he his his theorem predicted. Actually, happened all of a sudden. Oh my god, you're the greatest genius! Here's right. the Nobel Prize. Wow. Uh, right. uh, when we used to live in Santa Fe, New Mexico, oh, and uh, I'm so jealous. It was, yeah, it was, we were there for 10 years, a mad magical place. Oh. And we became good friends with Murray Gelman, who won the Nobel Prize in Physics uh, for coming up with quarks the, the smallest no particle.
0: No kidding,
1: yeah. His license plate was quark. And he, he's a really cool guy. So we used to have these uh, salons at our home and we'd invite all sorts of clever people. We'd drink great wine. We'd have fabulous food. And we would talk about the nature of creativity, genius, leadership, all of these kinds of topics. And, you know, Murray, you know, once you win the Nobel Prize and you're, you're famous and validated, but he, was, he would tell us what it was like when he was struggling in his mind To come up with... He did this all in his mind. This is theoretical physics. Uh This is in his mind, he's figuring out the fundamental particles that make up the particles of atoms. Mm -hmm. And he's working the math in his mind. And he's laying it all out. And he's in... Squabbles with his colleague uh, Richard Feynman, you know another f- genius physicist, and they're they're kind of because s- so far they're just these two you know very clever guys, but who knows? Right. So Mur- Murray comes up, you know, he publishes his equations, and again, two years later, they built the super collider where they suddenly smashed the atoms together. They went, "Oh look, Murray's right! Mm-hmm. Now you're a genius! Oh my God, we love you! Here's fame, here's money." Etc. Except if they never built that collider, and you, so there's some degree of maybe you get recognized, right? Maybe you don't,
0: right? Well, and I'm glad you because that that was the point, and and back to the spatial thing. Then that was different. That was that was more: do I speak up versus do I create, which are are totally right. different, totally different things. Um, but yeah, the genius has to say it regardless of the outcome. I mean, the outcome is. I mean, you know, I mean, it's just like, I just got married and I finally had to go, I'm not going to think about, I'm going to do it. And then I'm going to work the outcome. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you got to yeah, go, yeah. got to go, because otherwise I could imagine every day, every thing and go, mm, no, not going to do it. Not going to say anything, not going to abide by the rules of whatever the covenant is. But it's like, you, you, you do it because you said you do it. And when you're that genius and you have that gifting and that coding and those experiences, you can't. Put a cork in it. It's coming out.
1: Right. Well, because because you're loyal to higher principles.
0: Yes. So, yes.
1: Like what are the principles that genius is loyal to? I'll tell you. There's three:
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, truth, beauty, and goodness. Nice. And they all go together. Yes. So M- Murray used to say, uh, uh, "It's quite amazing that in theoretical physics." a theory that is beautiful is more likely to be true.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. And, and then you do have that higher grounding, the absolute, and people are like, well, life is whatever you make it. Yeah, you, yeah, you have choices, but there are still absolute truths, theological truths, um, physical truths, existential, you know, there still is a grounding in this. It's not just freeform mayhem. And so <laughs> I, I love that. I love, this. you know. There's quirks, but there still is structure and order is a beautiful thing. And uncovering and discovering all of the unknown. We only know what, what tiny little sliver of the known do we know? And it's just so beautiful. And people finally open their minds and, and it is so humble. Um, who am I reading? A book called The Humble Approach. John Templeton. Brilliant. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I read this book and I'm like, are you kidding me? You know, just economist you know, a genius. And just his approach to what is unknown and how the hubris of thinking that, well, that's stupid or we already know anything or I'm going to get lazy and just, you know, what the mind, we haven't even begun. the greatest creation in all of the universe is right here between our ears and what we can unlock with that. It's just, it's just unbelievable. But, But see, it didn't come with a manual. No,
1: (laughs) that's why I had to write how to think like Leonardo (laughs) da Vinci.
0: I want to talk about that again. I want to talk about something I want to, I'll talk. Okay. So loneliness, weariness. Okay. So, Next, my father talked about abandonment and, uh, he, he, you know, abandonment kind of has that negative thing, but he's talking about we need to abandon what we want and like to think about in favor of what we need and ought to think about. So it's really this hyper-focus that geniuses, um, I would say there's a lot of other people, geniuses out there walking amongst us, but they just can't land on something. They can't finish what they started and they can't get, you know, that conscientiousness dialed in. So can you share a little bit about that trait of abandonment And when you see the calling and you decide to go all all in, make that decision, as my dad would say, make it yours and then die by it. Can you unpack that for us?
1: Hmm. Yeah, I love that. So my interpretation on that is everybody's looking to do something. You know, I mean, they want to do something. And and every self-help guide or says 10 things to do. And if, if you go on the internet and say, what do I do to become a great leader? And what do I do to be a great achiever? And we're all, and that's good. Look, it's great. It's great. It's much easier to have people who have an overabundance of commitment to achievement and help them be more balanced than people who are just lazy and don't want to do anything. Cause so, but they never have the money to hire me. So I don't have to (laughs) worry about them. My job is usually take these super high achievers, these driven people Mm -hmm. and help them find more balance and, and, and mm-hmm. more subtlety, and, and more alignment with truth, beauty, and goodness in in everything they do. Love it. So frequently, the key to that breakthrough wisdom is becoming aware of habits that don't serve you and don't serve your higher purpose, yep. and freeing yourself from those habits. Mm-hmm. And that can be habits, not, you know, we think not just obviously addictive habits, which are disastrous, but habits of thinking, habits of negative thinking, habits of judging other people, uh, uh, habits of, you know, like a really simple thing to give up right now is check the news once a day, move on. I don't care where you are on the spectrum, focus on what you're going to create, how you're going to make a better world. You just say we just save everybody lots of energy. <laughs> Put that energy into making a better world. Tell me yeah. what your solution is to whatever bothers you. Focus on the solution. What are you doing now? How are you right. helping other people? So that's that's one big thing. We want just stop checking your phone, get off social media.
2: <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so, just,
1: oh, just to give a practical example. Just you know, there's not just some theoretical. Right. Uh, 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 Subtle. This is very practical. Mm-hmm. It's what you stop doing
2: mm-hmm.
1: liberates your energy for to do. Uh, one of my favorite philosophers said, uh, "When you stop doing the wrong thing, the right thing does itself." Oh man, that's F. M. Alexander.
0: That is absolute, absolute gospel truth. Oh my gosh. I love that. And I love how you put balance, subtlety and alignment and, you know, abandonment, you know, people are like, Oh, what do I have to give up? Uh, I have to give up watching the news and binge watching Netflix for three days until my legs, I get thrombosis or a blood. No, you know, you, you give up, you, you abandon things that are non-value added. And boy, if we looked at if we were like billable minutes in our day, like a lawyer, I'm going to break apart and bill myself for, you know, how much nonproductive or time wasted would we have? You know, it's just, yeah. And I think some people really focus so much on success, but but like you said, that's great to look at. What do you have in that still... Um, pulling you away, um, non-value-added stuff, and you need, to, you need to get rid of that because then you, then you get that resiliency, that time, that energy, that uh, energy that you said.
1: So I, I, was a, I had a, a coaching client. I did a three-month intensive with him, and brilliant guy who wa- wanted to become a full-time professional coach, mm-hmm. but he had been an officer in the Air Force and he's a professional pilot. And, and really, you know, one, so if he's an officer in the Air Force, he's a professional pilot, you know he's a great achiever. That's that right. not an issue. Uh, this is a guy, you know, you you would want on, on your squad in any attempt to accomplish anything. Right. Uh, but he was looking into making this transition to become a full-time executive coach. So he was asking me to coach him in his transition to become a coach.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And... What I had him do, I had him do this exercise that I invite everybody to do, is look at all the areas of your life, right? Your your relationship, maybe if you're married or have a partner, your children, your parents, your friends, look at your relationships. Look at your work, your career, your business, uh, look at your your spiritual life your your sense of connection with something greater than than yourself
2: mm-hmm. look
1: at the uh, hobbies you have and the things you want to learn. look at the uh places you want to uh, to travel look at your health
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: and then ask yourself in each of these areas because i 'm sure you know everybody's already written out all their goals you know we, we're dealing with achievers here so they already have goals and they know to make them specific with a timeline and all that stuff so we but Try this. Ask yourself, how do I want to feel in each of these areas of my life? How do I want to feel? Mm -hmm. My friend Jim Clawson said that somebody asked him that question. He was a high achiever, you know, PhD, scholar, professor. Mm -hmm. Somebody asked him that question. He said it rocked his world. Mm -hmm. He actually wrote a book called Powered by Feel. Mm -hmm. And what he found is people who perform at the very highest level they're so engaged. They're in what uh, uh, M- uh, Chitsen Machai calls the flow state. Mm. And f- in the flow state, time disappears. People uh-huh. feel completely engaged. And I know I, I like, and this is a thing I have in, in common with your father, because I bet he was like this. When am I most in the flow state? In front of a thousand people. Mm-hmm. Time does I have to, I mean, I have to watch the clock and I, you know, I'm being paid to finish on time. I always finish on time. I stay in touch with, with the current clock time reality, but I have to be conscious about that because I'm in, I'm, time is gone. I'm in bliss. Right. Right. So, so then you ask yourself, well, okay, so I know how I want to feel when I'm doing that. How do I want to feel when I'm spending time with my kids? Mm -hmm. How do I want to spend, how do I want to feel with my parents? How do I want to feel with my wife or my husband or my boyfriend or my girlfriend? How do I want to feel about my, you know, my health when I, how do I want to feel when I wake up in the morning? How do I want to feel when I, when I go to sleep at night? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Uh, And and if you can articulate, start with just a few key words in each area of your life, how do you want to feel? That's a key to happiness and fulfillment Mm -hmm. and high performance from a different, from a non-driven inside out and joyous perspective.
0: Okay. And because you were dealing in that case with people that are already executors, right? the light. So if you have an executor that just needs focused on, you know, because I was in the air force too. And, and right. we call it, you, you don't want to be all thrust, no vector. You don't just want to be like, <laughs> you know, you've got, you've got, put those afterburner nozzles so you can, you know, go up. Um, but if you're dealing with people that, and there's a lot of people, a lot, yeah. For all you know, what I'm going to say that say I I'm in pain I'm in dissonance but it's not I want to feel different my family is dysfunctional my health is shot yes. I hate work I'm compl- and they know that this is a bad feeling but but what do you, what do you do for people or or are they just in that state where until you want it bad enough to care you can't get into the geni- unlocking your genius right because this still falls on them to actually put the plan in motion
1: yeah. I mean, a lot of times people, are you know, this trauma doesn't just mean that you have PTSD because you are in a war.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: what we're realizing, what we're learning is that a shocking number of people grow up traumatized. You're right. And there are right. many, many sources of trauma. You know, you could call it the Tao. You could call right. it the Buddha. You can call it Christ. The inner dynamic of going beyond living uh, as just a slave of your own tiny ego. Right. Right. That's abandon that, abandon that, yeah.
0: Yeah. And even if you say, well, I'm an atheist, I don't believe in God. Well, you believe in God, you are God. I mean, and that that can work for some people, but I mean, you know, you, you got to plant your flag somewhere. And again, you went back to that, the overarching purpose. And my dad used to say that he's like, look, I, 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 if I'll share what does it for me, but you have to make up your own mind. Who are you going to live your life for? And if it's yourself, then go all in. And if it's not, then you find that, but a, a lot of the research, even the secular research, and you know this, you know this because you're in the same world. I is the greatest thing you can do to pull yourself out of a nosedive or depression or set your vision. and We're going to talk about that next. Is to take your eyes off yourself, and I don't care if you are the most hardcore. You know, think you can run the world. There's, it's, it's a universal law. Right. You know,
1: it's, it's just, another way to say that is focusing on yourself is a loser's game.
0: Yeah, it is. <gasps> it's a loser game
1: because. You know, you're gonna die. (laughs) Right. You are, right. It's over. You can't take it with you. Right. The winner of the rat race is still a rat. Right. Right.
0: I love that. I love that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so let's talk. Okay, the fourth price, fourth price is vision, and my dad would always say because you know my dad flunked out of school in the eighth grade and uh, was not a formally educated man, but man was he wise because right. he read 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 and absorbed like a sponge, and and then he poured it back out because if you pull it all in, it's like the Dead Sea. You just get all stinky and salty, and <laughs> you know, nothing floats, you know. But he would say that you know vision is nothing more than just seeing what needs to be done and doing it. And that's where you talk. I love that. You and you talk about engagement because so many people do see what needs to be done, but they're like, mm, yeah, mm, no. Um, so how, how, how do you talk about Leonardo with his vision or how you gain it in, in your business and your walk? What, what does vision mean to you and how do you grow in vision or wisdom?
1: Well, I think it's by asking the question. It's by, it, this comes back to the first, everything. That's why curiosita is the first principle. Huh. The questions we ask every day determine the quality of our lives. So. Wow. Visionaries ask questions about vision. Wow. Not just, you know, uh, I ask questions that, you know, I love food. I'm, I'm already, my wife and I would discuss what's for dinner. It's one of our favorite conversations every day. We, you know, plan it. I, I mean, that's part of my vision for today is the fabulous uh, Buffalo burgers we're going to have for dinner tonight. <laughs> that's <laughs> so, awesome. Right, because the questions you ask determine the quality of your life. So on that level, that's mm-hmm. the appropriate uh, question. And then asking questions: ha- How will I bring more truth, beauty, and goodness into the lives of everyone I touch today? Uh, 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 you know, my I'm engaged right now. I'm pointing that way because that's where New Jersey is, mm-hmm. and my mom and dad. My dad's ninety three. My mom's eighty nine. Oh. Uh, uh, my dad's been having some health issues mm-hmm. uh, uh, I'm interacting with my brothers with my mom I talk to my dad today we're all coming together as a family so some of my questions are you know how do I best care for my my, my, my mom my dad because uh, you always say you know the person who's sick everybody looks at that person but the wife or the husband of the person who's sick is maybe suffering even more mm-hmm. so you have to and then it touches the grandchildren, it touches the brothers, the what, everybody, the whole. So it was interesting earlier today, I, I, was, I was doing a meditation. I was just uh, praying for my dad. And But I realized, like, you know, I have a special love for him. Obviously, he's my dad. I love the guy. Uh, but I was thinking, how can I, you know, the, the intensity of love for this person? And then I was envisioning that love just spreading out to all of humanity. <laughs> That we all be healed.
2: Mm-hmm. So that
1: you know, to take like the personal thing that it's you know, there's nothing more personal than the, the the illness of of a loved one uh, or your own illness. So you pray it's fine. Pray for your own immediate uh, needs uh, and circle. But what if you know as a visionary? What if we extend out our love to all and mm-hmm. not just the members of our little Pack, uh, and 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 this is the teaching again. This is the universal teaching. Mm-hmm. So, so you know that that's a visionary kind of question. Yeah. Uh, and we get you know, we get com- we get uh, clients in very practical terms. Say, how do we? What's the higher purpose of this company? Right. You know, sure. I have a client. I'm pointing to New Jersey again because the clients in New Jersey. I have a client who remediates mold and asbestos. And you know it's a great business, and it, it's a service business. I mean, if you have mold or you have asbestos, you're really glad you know these people because mm-hmm. you know you won't be sick anymore, and your mm-hmm. building will be safe, and, and so on. But I've worked with the CEO and the leadership of that company, and they've really defined a higher purpose, which has taken everything they do to it to a whole other level. Mm-hmm. You know, they, their purpose is is to enrich all the communities that they touch, and and so they they. They give to charity, right. they, they pay people for uh, community service days uh, Yeah. so that everybody comes to work every day with more energy because my job isn't just, you know,
0: get these mold samples. Yeah. my
1: job is serve our communities.
0: Right. Right. Well, 100% of the people that I've interviewed, to include you, tied vision back to helping others serving our fellow citizens. You know, our our small group Bible study yesterday you talked about that verse it was in 2 Timothy love covers a multitude of all sins. That's it. I mean, it is the universal truth. And I, and I just I just Man, I just love that you put that in there. That no matter what it does, it goes to the higher good. And don't you think? And I love how you said, "Just don't even turn off." I mean, I cut the cord. I haven't watched the news since like May of 2014. <laughs> See how smart and happy I? I'm actually getting younger and smarter and more peaceful. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh! But it's just one of those things. Whenever I hear people complain or whine or, or poo-poo on the world, I'm like, you have no idea. For every naysayer out there, there are 10,000 people serving the community. It's, a, it's a remarkable. So Shut up and get <laughs> out and quit hashtagging and regurgitating <laughs> and verbal vomit. Get out there and you will see the beauty that is all around you. Yes, we have some real intrinsic things going in inside of our hearts. We're human beings, okay? But we also have this great God seed in us where we have this capability to love and create and explore the unknown and help people. I mean, where does that come from? Get out and use it.
1: Well, you know, what, Leonardo da Vinci's motto was Amor Vincit Omnia, which means love conquers all.
0: That's it? Yeah, that's it. That's so beautiful. All right. Okay, so Michael, anything else as we're wrapping this up that you would just like, this has been absolutely fascinating that you would like, that we haven't touched on, that you would like to leave our leaders on leadership with some of your thoughts?
1: Sure. So if you want to get good at basketball, for example you might watch films of Michael Jordan. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, Kobe Bryant did and LeBron James did. So now kids grow up watching Kobe or LeBron and next it'll be Jonas and Kawhi and so on. Because we all, it's natural to want a role model in whatever Mm -hmm. it is you want to learn. You want to be a great basketball player, study Larry Bird, study... Uh, Magic Johnson, study all the best players. If you want to be creative, visionary, study Leonardo da Vinci, that's... Yeah. Find, create, but you don't have to limit yourself to just Michael Jordan or just Leonardo da Vinci. Create a dream team of visionary, inspirational leaders. So you're, you're blessed. You grew up with one as your actual father. Yeah. And he's yeah. been at that for many, many, many people. It's tremendous, right? So, so now we have, I'll tell you what I do. I'll tell you this. Is, so one less, it's a practical thing people can, can really do. Uh, if you look at the feed on my YouTube, it's all spiritual teachers, geniuses. Okay, some sports and some comedy. <laughs> But I'm just studying with sages from all traditions, from physicists, from scientists, from poets, from singers, from Bach, from Mozart, from the greatest geniuses who've ever lived And that's what I fill my brain and my heart and my soul with every night before I go to sleep.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's free. Now it's free. I mean, you might have to watch a couple of commercials if you don't, if you don't you know, buy the subscription, but basically it's free. You have all the knowledge of humanity. So more than ever before in human history, this is critical, become the curator of your own soul, Ooh. the curator of the soul of your family
0: and the, and the people
1: who you touch.
0: Man, I'm glad we're recording this because I, I scribbled down a lot. That is absolutely beautiful. And as my dad would always say, you'll be the same person five years from now that you are today, except for two things, the people you meet and the books you read. And even if they're uh, gone on to glory, you can still meet them. My dad it says, that's why my dad loved biographies and autobiographies. He's too, like, yeah. I knew Lincoln and those guys better than their own mothers knew him. Because he, like you, probably knew Leonardo better than his own mother did. Cause you oh, yeah, like, no, I- so much about him
1: big time i big
0: love time. that and so build that dream team and and, and again yeah it, it takes work but it is so and i encourage people if you're like i'm not a reader i'm blah, blah i'm too old i'm you know what the, it's just like anything else learning and being curious and inquisitive and developing that higher order thinking is you start here and every day you get better at it and it's more liberating and it's more fun in the beginning exposing your ignorance is like oh man I wish I would have known that, but then it's like, so what? Better late than never, you know. Yeah, on man. to the next breakthrough, you know. <laughs> Probably one second before I emigrate to heaven, I'll be like, oh yeah, and then I'll get, and everything will be made clear to me for once and for all. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Amen.
0: And, well, Michael, how can people get in touch with you? I've got a couple of big things. Uh, we're just completing the
1: online video. Seminar on how to think like Leonardo da Vinci. So oh,
0: nice. Okay. You know, people have been
1: reading the book for 22 years, but it's time. You know, I can't travel around to uh, do the live seminars for the moment, but this uh, video will give people the experience of being in my intensive two-day live seminar. Wonderful. And it's it's going to be launched very soon. There's information about it on my website on MichaelGelb.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, I also have a new book coming out in September called Mastering the Art of Public Speaking.
0: I saw that too. Excellent. Wow. So you are truly a renaissance man, just like your hero
1: we're 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 working on it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, so before I say goodbye, have you seen those series of little life-changing classics that we put out there, the little booklets? There's 32 of them. It's like Lincoln and Pat, and we just did one of Joan of Arc, but I think we should do one on Leonardo Da Vinci. Well, There's just like yeah. Okay, so I will talk to you after this, but that would be yeah. so beautiful because we always pick the greats or, um, uh, um you know, Acres of Diamonds, As a Man Thinketh, Message of Garcia, you know, that kind of common denominator of success, some of the old-timey uh, seminal thinkers. But this would be so cool to get for- to Do you have people. Thomas Edison in there? No, and so that, I, I wrote him down too. But I wrote, uh, Yeah, I wrote to
1: Innovate Like Edison with Thomas Edison's great, great, great grandniece. He should be in there. Uh, awesome. I've got- uh, I wrote a book about 10 other geniuses. I've got Thomas Jefferson. I've got Plato. I've got Brunelleschi. I've got Queen Elizabeth I. Oh, my gosh. uh, Gandhi so we could even got a, it lot of stuff a for series,
0: series on each one of them because they're just those little two dollar reads and they're just brilliant because people you know just can power through them and tell them about it but we'll talk about that after this is over yeah. but, uh, Michael I-, I can't thank you enough for this um, thank you so much fun um, it was so nice I can't wait to listen and watch this back. and I thank you so much for sharing and I'm so glad you got to know my dad and I'm honored that we are continuing the legacy and just what an inspiration you've been to me and what you've taught me and to everybody out there listening too thank you
1: Thank you for listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Find out more about Dr. Jones at www.tremendousleadership.com. If you've been ignited by something you heard in this episode, let us know by leaving a review for Tremendous Leadership wherever you listen to podcasts or by sending us a message through www.tremendousleadership.com.